Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Losses Above Replacement, the best baseball podcast to grace your ears. I am your host, Alex Clark, joined today by Matthias Altman Kurosaki. And hey, are we are we missing someone? I can't tell, man. Are are we missing someone? It's it's weird. I mm. guess it's only a two person show today. Yeah, going way back to the roots of yep. LR, back when it went by another acronym. And exactly. uh, yeah, no, Splash couldn't be here today, so you know. Uh, all the best for Splash. Again, he he's not gone, just not feeling good. So we'll uh we'll keep going though for the show here, even in his absence here. But uh if you're listening, we love you, buddy. Anyway, we got a full show. We're gonna get right on into it. Starting us off here, we have a one of the first big signings of the year has already happened to so the St. Louis Cardinals, where uh pitcher Sonny Gray, one of the finalists for the Cy Young Award last year, signs a three-year, $75 million deal with the Cardinals. Now, we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-show here, uh, Mac. It, it seems like the Cardinals have been doing just a lot of bit-by-bit pieces. This was their big one that really started to uh, put the rotation into a little bit more respectful areas, because otherwise it's just a lot of projects. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, you look at, you know, originally the Cardinals were in on Aaron Nola, and then Nola re-signed with the Phillies. And then they followed it up by re-signing Lance Lynn, who is coming off a down year. Yes, he gets strikeouts, but Lynn, I mean, he he hasn't been good in a couple of years if we're looking at his numbers, really. Uh, and then they signed Kyle Gibson, who is also another guy in his mid-30s, who he's, an, he's a solid innings eater, but he's not an ace necessarily. This is a Cardinals rotation that was held together by duct tape and crazy glue last year. Uh, and they needed to go out and get a legitimate starting pitcher. And Sonny Gray is that guy. He's coming off his best year in quite some time, in my opinion. 279 ERA, that's the second lowest mark of his career. Uh, in 184 innings, he had a major league leading 2.83 FIP. He allowed just eight homers and struck out 183 batters. So he's he 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 really looked like himself last year. Uh, his ground ball rate was back up at forty-seven point three percent. Is a solid number. It's not fantastic, but it's an improvement over his twenty twenty-two number. You know his strikeouts. He's always been sort of a high strikeout guy, and you know not nine strikeouts per nine is basically right in line with his career mark of eight point seven. Uh, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. He keeps the ball in the yard, so. $25 million annually is a lot for him. I honestly expected him to get more than three years. I thought he was going to get four or five years. Uh, so they go for a shorter contract, higher AAV. He is another guy in his mid-30s. So it's probably for the best that he got a three-year contract. But really, I think this is the right move for the Cardinals. They desperately needed a frontline arm like Sonny Gray. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you take a look at the Cardinals overall just last year. They were one of the worst teams in all of baseball. I mean, again, they finished in last place in their division, which was like the first time since like, what, the 20s? Something like that? I I, I can't remember. It was a very long time. Yeah, it was a very, very long time ago. But last year, they finished 26th in ERA in the major leagues. That's abysmal. So you knew you had to make some changes. And you know what? Credit to the Cardinals, they did exactly that. Starting out by getting Gibson and Lance Lynn to work on them. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's not enough to really get you over the hump. Well, then they go and get Sonny Gray. So that is, honestly, 
that's a solid move. The one thing that I will still be constantly worried about when it comes to Gray is the fact that he has had a lot of time where he just kind of bounces back and forth, back and forth being good. He's a little streaky at times. And don't get me wrong, he has had some really good years as of late. Again, this year, 279 uh, ERA, 308 last year, but 419 the year before that. He's been good, but he's also had just a lot of times where he just blows up. And people think, man, is this dude washed? Is he? Is his career over? And he finds a way to bring it back. So you know what? Good on him for that. And you know what? The Cardinals obviously see something big in him, right? The one thing that still kind of blows my mind with this is that amount that he's getting paid per year. $25 million one year for one starting pitcher. Like, and to be fair, like, I'm not going to give him any negative marks here, obviously, but that feels like a lot for a guy that is, you know, 11 years into the bigs and has had a number of good seasons, don't get me wrong, but has also been pretty streaky overall. This feels like a trying to capitalize now move while still trying to keep somewhat low long-term risk. Because yeah, you signed only it's, three years. Yeah. Come to think of it, it's the same. I think this is the exact same contract the Phillies gave Jake Arietta, who mm-hmm. if, if was also around the same age. But the thing is that Arietta was already sort of on the decline when the Phillies signed him, which is so. I think it makes more sense to give a guy like Gray, who's coming off a great year, uh, a contract like this compared to a guy like Arietta, who won the Cy Young, but has who had since had two. Not necessarily bad years, but two years where it clearly showed that he was going to decline and that contract would not age well. Yeah, and that's kind of, I I can see exactly where you're coming from on that. And to be fair, there are a lot of similarities to Arietta and Gray, just again, from the age pitching styles at that point. So now let me ask you this question here. In that division has been, the NL Central has been one of the more, shall we say, interesting to be nice. Yeah, in we can go with that, yep. Well, I mean, it's at least close, considering that, you know, there's not a whole ton of talent there, but there are there's definitely some talent in that division. Do you think this is the kind of move that at least moves you up in that division? Like, I think anytime you add a bona fide ace to your team, that's always a good move. That's always a good sign. But is this enough to take a team that was 26th in ERA last year and bump them up enough so that they're not last and potentially even competing for the division. The thing is that it's, yes, it's a step in the right direction, but really what concerns me is that this roster as a whole, you know, you have, all right, Nolan Gorman, he's young. Jordan Walker is young. Alec Burleson, you know, their offense is relatively young, although you have Paul Goldschmidt, who's going to be 36 next year. Wilson Contreras will be 32. Nolan Arenado will be 33. All those guys are coming off down years for the most part, I would say. Uh, actually, I mean, Contreras offensively was able to contribute at 826 OPS, but defensively, he is not very reliable. Uh, Goldschmidt was solid with an 810 OPS, but he's, I mean, he won MVP the year before. You don't expect an MVP to you know, drop his OPS nearly 200 points. Uh, and then that That's pitching staff, job. like I said, it's a bunch of guys in their mid-30s. Now that they've moved on from Dakota Hudson, they've traded Jack Flaherty. Even with Adam Wainwright retiring, you're relying on Miles Michaelis, who's going to be 35 next year. Steven Matz will be 33. 
you know, like I said, Lance Lynn, he's 36 already. Kyle Gibson is 35. Sonny Gray is going to be 34 next year. The, the That's a rotation that if there's anything I learned from watching the Mets this past year is that you can't necessarily bank on these guys who are aging to A, stay healthy, and B, stay productive. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a step in the right direction because I think Gray will be good again next year. Do I necessarily think he'll be you know, a Cy Young finalist again? Eh, maybe not, but I think the Cardinals still have a lot of work to do. Uh, like I said, they're an aging roster, and that pitching staff, in my opinion, it's Sonny Gray, and then I don't know if I trust the other four guys in that rotation. So they still need to get at least another arm or two maybe to support him. Maybe they look at a guy like Imanaga. Maybe they look at Yamamoto. Maybe they try to trade for a guy, but they definitely still have plenty of work to do if they want to have a shot at the NL Central next year. The big thing that I see here right now with their rotation is that it is very high risk, high reward. But to be fair, they're at a point where right now, you know, there's the saying of uh, the most dangerous men are the ones with nothing to lose. They already finished last last year. They have nowhere to go but up. So, And they were a team we we expected to at least contend to maybe make the NLCS or the World Series last year. Exactly. And it just didn't work out for them. But that's kind of the... That's kind of the methodology of their sorry rotation. You have at least one big anchor there now in Sunny Gray, but then you have a lot of pieces around that you're hoping are going to return to form, or you're hoping will at least have those flashes of what they know they can be. But the more times you bank something, it's like a parlay. The more different legs that you stack on, the less chance that it hits the less chance that it's all going to work out well because you're relying on more and more factors. So I'm not sure how well I like the idea. I This is definitely going to be a subject that we are going to be talking about again come June, I think, because uh, unless they go and get someone else like we're talked, like you said a moment ago, which we also may talk about a little later in the show, hint, 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 hint wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But... Unless they do add on another piece, this starting rotation is full of question marks. I'm not going to say holes. They're full of question marks because you don't know fully what you're going to get. You know that these guys have ability. You know these guys have talent. But are they going to be able to put it together when it matters most? That's the thing. I would say right now they've gone from probably a 70-win team to maybe an 80-win team. Uh, Dang, he's got and, 10 ward. Wow, that's amazing. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking is that, you know, it's I feel like their their offense isn't as bad as this year showed. Like, uh, yes, they're like I said, their their main contributors are guys on the wrong side of 30. But I think their offense can definitely improve next year. It's just that pitching staff. I mean, we didn't even talk about the bullpen other than Ryan Helsley I and mean, Giovanni Gallegos. I mean, it's. There's a whole bunch of question marks just all over the pitching staff. So I'd say right now they're, I mean, they can maybe leapfrogging the Pirates. I mean, we don't know what the Brewers are going to do this offseason. Maybe they leapfrog the Brewers, but I think right now they're looking like a third place team, I would say, uh, compared to last place from this past year. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. So let's move on now. Unless you have any other notes here about Sunny Gray. 
I, I mean, I would just say I think, you know, he wanted to be a Cardinal. Uh, he said that in his press conference. And I think the Cardinals, they, they got a guy who can lead that rotation next year. So, uh, like I said, they still have a ton of work to do, but this is definitely a step in the right direction for them. And, you know, weak di- in a weak division, maybe they, they can – if they make the right moves, they'll have a chance to compete again. Yeah, we'll see what's going to happen for them going forward. So now let's move on to our next – topic here and one that brings me great sadness and that is that uh again for those who know me i'm a big seattle mariner fan seattle mariners made a trade just a little bit ago here and it was trading away uh eugenio suarez to the world series runner-up arizona diamondbacks here for um catchers uh sebi savala and minor league right-handed pitcher carlos vargas and <clears throat> Man, I could go on for hours talking about this trade, talking about my feelings towards this trade. But there is no universe right now where that move isn't a warning sign, especially if Seattle does not pull in a big free agent or makes a big trade for someone that makes the salary dump worth it. Because right now, you've already opened up the playoff window. You did that last year. Adding in Julio, adding Luis Castillo, adding these players and having them mesh together the way they have ended the playoff drought last year. You did it. Congratulations. And you were looking and poising to be even better for 2023. It didn't work out great for any number of reasons. But you don't want to start selling players again. Like, if you start selling again right now, you're closing that window again. You need to be adding on at this point. Like, the only logical reason in my mind right now for this team that is supposed to be at the beginning of their playoff window is that you're dumping Eugenio Suarez for the sole purpose of signing someone big, making sure that you have the money to go and get someone like an Otani or trading for a Soto, or getting doing something that is going to require a ton of cash in order to do. You already had a ton of money to work with in general with the most recent TV deal, and with your high, like uh, with apparently last year it was like the best operating cost, something of last year they won an award for. Right now, Seattle's in trouble, and I will be full on honest with that. Seattle is in trouble because. Right now, you have had a lot of bad publicity over the last little bit, especially with DePoto's 54% comments and what happened at the midway point of last season, trading away Paul Seawald here when you were fully competing for not just a wild card, but for the division, and you did a lateral move that you said that you were getting you know, more long-term success. I can understand that. If that wasn't what we had been seeing done for the last several years and it hasn't worked, you're trading away right now as like fully proven commodities for guesses, for hopes. And with this trade specifically, you are trading a guy that's ignoring the numbers, right? Ignoring the direct stats from Eugenio Suarez. You are trading away a guy that was a locker room leader 
an absolute spark plug that no one had anything bad to say about, who was one that the entire team liked and looked up to, who set an example for the rest of the team and still played good ball on top of it. Yes, the strikeouts were bad. I get that. But you also already addressed the problem with the strikeouts while letting go of Teoscar Hernandez, which also something that can be done talked about at another time. But this move, especially with what you got for him, this is a guy that took a huge step up on defense last year. We were talking about him as a potential gold glove candidate. A guy that if you had said Gold Glove and Eugenio Suarez in the same sentence even three years ago, you, the old, sentence would have only made sense if you had put we'll never win uh in the middle between. And last year he played fantastically. And yes, the deep is like the strikeout numbers were high, but he was still hitting pretty darn well overall. And you traded him for a backup catcher. That ha- has some good defensive metrics. Don't get wrong. Yeah, I will give him that. And a very unproven reliever. There is so much wrong there. You traded a man for pennies on the dollar in a move that can be only described as a salary dump. That can't be the end of that sentence. The end of the sentence needs to be that you're trading him as part of a salary dump in order to sign someone else. And that has to be the end of the story. That can't just be we're trading him away to free up money. What good is the money if you're not signing anyone? Like, I understand, you know, playing the analytics, trying to play that game. Well, guess what? You're losing it. You're playing that game and you are losing. Look at the division that you're in right now. You had, last year, your division rival, the Texas Rangers, won the World Series. And guess what? Go back the year before that, the Houston Astros won the World Series. And where were you both times? Well, in 2022, you made the playoffs and lost to the Astros, who then went on to win the World Series. And this year, you did not even make it. Finishing a game short again. This kind of move is something that shouldn't be needs to be talked about more because right now you have to be adding at this point. You can't say what you did last year was good enough or, well, we can't get better. Let's start selling now. I mean, really, this is just like. I, 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 there's, there's two sides of this really is that, I mean, from Arizona's perspective, they, I mean, they got next to no production from their third baseman last year. So and they, Evan Longoria is a free agent right now. So, all right, it makes sense to go out and get a guy like Suarez, but if I'm the Mariners, I don't understand why they're, yeah, like you said, it's basically a salary dump for a guy who, I mean, yes, his overall numbers did decline. Yes, he struck out 214 times, which is a career worse for him, and it led the American League. Uh, his OPS dipped to 714, which is the lowest it's ever been uh, low, over a full season. Only a, uh, or sorry, second lowest it's been. Uh, only a 101 OPS plus. Uh, you know, 22 homers still though, 96 RBIs still. 
Uh, like you said, he's a he's a great clubhouse presence. Uh, he played in all 162 games. I mean, I I just don't quite get why, you know, if if you wanted to upgrade at that position, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to trade him for. I mean, with all due respect to the guys they got back, Stevi Zavala is a backup catcher. Which also this implies that Tom Murphy won't be on the team next year. Which I'm is just a gonna, pro- that's another problem. That's right the other there. thing is that Murphy is another guy who's sort of a leader on this team. Uh, and then, I mean, Murphy was a great backup. I, th- I mean, talking about a, a backup catcher who can hit the way he can. I mean, he's the, he's a great complement in my opinion to Cal Raleigh. I mean, that's a great offensive catching duo who can also play good defense. Uh, but you get Zavala and then Vargas, who has an electric arm, but he has trouble throwing strikes. So I'm sure that Vargas, once he gets to the majors and works with that bullpen lab, I'm sure he'll become an effective big league reliever. But it's it's the it's a lot of mystery boxes, you know. I think that the the guys who the Mariners got for Seawald this summer were guys who were close to major league ready. At least, you know, Dom Canzone and Josh Rojas are guys who had already been in the majors and produced to a certain extent. I think both those guys can remain productive, and I think Ryan Bliss will be a solid big leaguer. But really, this was trading, you know, a veteran presence on your team who everyone loves and getting next to nothing in return. So I'm not quite sure what the vision is here. Uh, if the Mariners go out there and they sign a big free agent, whether it be, you know, I mean, whether it be Otani or, you know, Matt Chapman or Jamie Candelario, whoever it is that they sign, or, you know, Yamamoto, wh- whoever it is they sign, all right, maybe the trade will end up worth it. But, you know, I'm just thinking from a clubhouse perspective, you know, someone else, some of the other guys, you know, it's interesting saying this because it's a young roster, but, you know, you, the guys like J.P. Crawford, and you know Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, those guys will, I guess, you know, those guys will all together, I'm sure, be a great leadership group for for the clubhouse. And I should throw Ty France in there too, since he's one of the older guys on the team too. But uh, that's that's the t- the part that's going to be tough to replace. I think the numbers, yes, those are replaceable, but trading a guy who's so beloved by both the fans and the team, I think is a mistake. I mean, worst comes to worst, yeah, maybe he doesn't start, but I'm sure he's a great guy just to have on the roster. You know, he, team chemistry is a big deal. And yes, it does matter if you wouldn't believe it. Uh, and I mean, we've seen it over the years, teams with bad chemistry, no matter how much star power they have, they tend to fail. So right now, this trade is kind of a Kind of a loss for the Mariners. I think the D-backs get their third baseman. Maybe it helps them reach the playoffs again next year. But really, I'm just kind of confused by this move. It doesn't It doesn't really make a ton of sense. I want to make sure I come out here first saying this. I like DePoto. I like the Mariners organization. I've it, There's a reason why I'm a season ticket holder and all that. <clears throat> but there's also been a ton of moves and the that one make no sense. But also to seem to really catch even the team off guard. There was a quote that came out from a couple of players. I will, I'm not going to name names up here, but 
Uh, this was the quote. He ha- he hasn't come down here, a player said of Depoto. He sits up in his suite playing fantasy baseball and rips apart our team without telling us anything. And as much as I want to not believe that quote, and I want to make sure that I'm seeing everything right when it comes to him at this point, we've now seen multiple examples of this and multiple players coming forward about it. One of the biggest examples of this was, one, the trade of Kendall Graveman in the middle of the postseason push to the Houston Astros, which made, at the time, very little sense. And I was makes, I was very confused by that I, deal. I was plum angry. I was so mad at that time. Considering also what you got back was uh, Joe Smith, who finished out the year for Seattle, and then one of my favorite boys, I can't remember his name, though. Abraham Toro. Thank you, Toro. Yeah. Such a good lad, I like it, but then was traded away over to the Brewers alongside Jesse Winker, to get uh, Colton Wong. Yeah, I was trying not to say the name, but yes, (laughs) Colton Wong. And it just doesn't feel like the moves are clicking. And I want to believe in DePoto. I really do. I like him. I like the fact that he has ended, he did help end the postseason drought. It happened. I'm glad about that. But we need to see some level of moving forward with it and these kinds of trades are ones that hurt the team unless there is follow-up to it that's what i need to see that's what i want to see that's what the team needs to see for those of you that follow uh john boy media i don't usually agree with some of their takes obviously but there was one that came out today from talking jake uh, talking about the Mariners, that after the trade of Eugenio Suarez, you've now lost two impact bats on your team. And if you, you do not fill those holes, what are you doing? You are putting yourself in a worse scenario without a team that needed, you need to bring two impact bats just to get back to default now. Not even to just get up forward, just to get back to default. And unless you really, really get like a hit a home run, like getting a Soto to replace Teoscar Hernandez or something like that, then you're just moving down. You're not getting better as a team in a division where the last two World Series winners are right next to you. Anything else we want to say here on the Suarez trade and what it means going forward? I mean, really, like like you were saying, they need to respond with some type of splash. Uh, and I'm not, I mean, you know, maybe it means, you know, I, I've heard some rumblings, maybe you try to reach out to Toronto about Bo Bichette. Maybe you try to teach him how to play third base. Because right now, I think Luis Arias can be a solid big leaguer. Do I think he can, he's necessarily an everyday option at third base? Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, for a little guy though, he can he can slug a little bit. Um, yeah, and then, no, definitely. Yeah, no, I think Arias is a is a nice pickup from the Red Sox, uh, but they they need to do something to make up this because yeah, I mean I almost got almost get lost there, going to be losing Teoscar Hernandez probably. Uh, although I mean it'd be great if they could retain him in some way, but there's intriguing bats out there. Like I said, you know you 
got guys like Candelario and Chapman, and then there's Jorge Soler, and obviously there's Otani, but like there's so many, so many guys out there that uh, I think, you know, you just traded a guy who was going to get 11 million next year, and they know now there's now here's your opportunity to upgrade. So mm-hmm. if they don't upgrade, this trade looks much worse. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious to see how Depoto will respond to this. If they upgrade, this trade is going to be justified. And I will take back everything that I've said. Until then, to quote CM Punk, stop me when I'm telling lies. Anyway, let's move on to our next segment here. And I do want to make sure I say it one more time. I like DePoto. I I like what a lot of things that DePoto has done. This is one that has left a lot of people hurt, me included. So, let's move on to our next segment here. So, speaking of trade candidates, we've we compiled a list of a couple of trade candidates that we think have a de- at least a decent chance of being moved, or at least some of the more interesting ones here. There are some impact players on here, a couple interesting ideas as well. And we're just going to kind of talk about where we think these guys are going to go if they are moved at all. And I think let's just swing for the fences on number one here. A guy that was traded not too long ago and is still considered one of the best pure hitters right now in baseball. That's Juan Soto. There's a lot of talk that he's going to get traded away from San Diego. Do you see an actual trade happening here? Because for to me right now, I think it's possible, but I also think there could be just a lot of smokescreen happening here. Well, really, I think I I need to see what dominoes fall in free agency. Remember, they they have a couple of key free agents in Josh Hader and Blake Snell. And I feel like if they, let's say they lose both of them, which I think is likely, then that definitely increases the chances that Soto gets dealt, in my opinion. I think right now, I'd say it's about 50-50 if he gets traded. I mean... You got to remember, he's only 24. Actually, he just turned 25 recently. So he's only 25. I mean, he's coming off another great year, 35 homers, which is a a career high. You know, only a 930 OPS. Oh, my God. Like, what are you going to do? That's that's such a down year for him. I mean, his career OPS is 946, still 158 OPS plus, still walking. You know, he he walked more than he struck out. He's gotten nearly a 19% walk rate. He's just – he's such a – great talent talent with the bat in his hands. Uh, But the thing is, I don't know what teams are going to be willing to give up what the Padres want to receive, uh, considering that he is going to be a free agent soon. Uh, So I think really it's if, if they can't negotiate an extension with him, and if they're going to lose both those key free agents, then yes, he does get dealt. Uh, Just a general list of teams that maybe could pony up for him. Uh, the Yankees, potentially, I think. Uh, they'd probably have to hemorrhage their farm system, which is or it's already kind of it's it's not great. Let's just put it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. I could see maybe a team like the Mets. The Mets I know are going to be aggressive at some point. Uh, I could also see, you know, the Mariners have the assets to do it. It's just a matter of will they do it. So I I if I were to pick a team, I'm not sure what team 
will get him, but I think there's at least a 50% chance that he does get dealt this offseason. Yeah, I could see that, and I, I think I would, I'm inclined to agree with you as well. And the one thing I will say, though, is that I think that when it comes to a trade market for him right now, I do think that the price is going to be significantly lower than what the Padres gave up to get him. Because, like you said, he's on the last year of a deal. The team that trades for him is going to have to be able to re-sign him. Like, not a question. He's gonna well, if you're easily. giving up any if you're giving any level of like uh prospects and MLB ready players, you've got to be ready to sign this guy to like a 12-year deal. Something at like least, that. Like, at like least a huge, huge deal. So a team's gonna need to be able to pony up both of those prospects, players, and then be able to also go and sign him afterwards. So there's a lot of intrigue about where he could go. And I think my two biggest options are the same ones you said. As much as I don't want to see him in a Yankees uniform, can you imagine an outfield that has both Soto and Aaron Judge in it? I mean, it'd be like, terrifying. It'd be you know, ter- the offensively other, terrifying. Yeah, so you, the, the thing is, though, that in a sport like baseball, um, unfortunately, you need more than two players on your roster. And as great as Aaron Judge and Juan Soto might be, there's still seven other spots in the lineup mm-hmm. and a pitching staff. Yeah, And I'm assuming that the Yankees would have to give Drew Thorpe in this deal, who is, you know, the reigning minor league pitcher of the year. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's, fair. that's the thing is that the Yankees, I'm sure, like everyone, everyone lists them as like the top contender for Soto, but they'd have to give up so much probably that that's the thing is that yeah, maybe it won't be as much as what the Padres gave up to get him from the Nats, but it's not going to be a small amount to get him, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. The other team that I was going to bring was the one that you said. The Mariners are actually a prime candidate, I think, on this one. They've got the money to they do have something. The pitching. With- They've got the pitching to trade in, and like a lot of people have been talking about, which one would you rather trade between uh, Brian Wu and Bryce Miller? And in my opinion, that's a very easy choice. That Wu should be the one that you trade. But uh, look don't... at trading em- Emerson Hancock too. Yeah, that's it. That's the part where it gets a little eh for me. Although to be fair, I think the team's got the pitching to do it though. So I mean, because right now your pitching staff is already absolutely loaded. Right now, like, this is maybe a bit of a controversial take, but I do think that Seattle has probably one of the top five rotations in all of baseball. No, no, Um, I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Anytime I make a take that is a homer take, uh, I always think it's a little bit weird. Anyway, regardless, uh, you've got the pitching to do it. You've even got some good uh, offensive pieces down in the minors and in the majors, if you really want to be fair with it. And you've already proven that you are willing to make these kinds of deals because you just did with Julio Rodriguez. So you know what? It's possible. And one thing I will definitely give DePoto credit for, he's really good with contracts. He has been really good on signing these players, not signing them for too much, but also giving shocker level deals. Yeah, you got to also keep in mind that Soto was offered 15 years and $440 million before the or by the nationals before he got traded and he rejected it so uh whatever team does get him 
it's going to have to make him a massive, massive offer. And I almost wonder if it's going to be a condition of the deal that he has to get an extension uh, with whatever team he gets. Because I know that uh, – or whatever team he gets traded to. Because I know that in the past that – you know, I remember when the Mets traded R.A. Dickey and also when they traded for Johan Santana. Like, it's part of the deal that these guys needed to get extended in order for the trade to go through. So – and that's the thing. Whoever – Whoever does end up with Juan Soto is probably going to want to extend him too. It's just I want I wonder if he already turned down one extension, what type of extension he will want. I don't think so much is about the money. I think it was more that he wanted out of he wanted out of Washington DC. I mean, it was it was and, a rough situation for the team at the time. Yeah, and I think that's probably why is that he knew that he wanted to play for a team right now because he knows that right now he is one of the best pure hitters in all of baseball. And he didn't want to waste those years watching a Nationals team try to rebuild around him. He wanted to try and, you know, win now, which to be fair is fully acceptable. So honestly, I think if you even offer the exact same deal to him now, if you were a team like, say, the Mariners or the Yankees, I think he would accept at that point, just because at that point, you're still winning. So you're on a winning team at that point, and you're not in rebuild mode. You are in very much playoff window mode. Yeah, so I, with, I agree. Yeah. yeah, so with that, let's head on to our next one. And this one, a little bit more interesting. We're going to a pitcher this time here. That's Tyler Glasnow. His name has been thrown around a lot on the trade block, and... Mac, I'm just going to be honest here on this point. This one feels a lot like James Paxton syndrome. A guy that you know has got all the talent in the world that when healthy is one of the most dominant pitchers out there. But it's that when healthy that matters. Where his arm has the structural integrity of uh, paper tissue. And you've... He has yet to throw... What was that? He has yet to throw 150 innings in a season. He's yet to throw more than 120. Exactly, 120, and yet when he does pitch, he is absolutely electric. It is mastery at work watching him pitch. The problem is he's not on the mound a lot of the time. He's injured, and he's very injury-prone as well. So how do you think that affects a deal, trying to trade for him? Because that's obviously the big condition here, is that if you're trading for him, you're banking that he is not going to be injured – but that has to lower the value. The other thing is that he's going to be on the last year of his contract. He's making $25 million on that deal. And, you know, he's he's the definition of high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. When he's on the field, he's electric. I mean, his batted ball data even showed, like, last year, he had a he had a 3.5 year ERA, but he had a 2.91 FIP, a 2.75 XFIP. I mean, his ground ball rate was up. His fly ball rate was down. His average exit velocity against was down. His hard hit rate was down. Yes, his fastball took a step back in velocity, and it wasn't as effective. His breaking pitches were fantastic. I mean, his his curveball gets whips at a rate over fifty percent. His slider is nasty. Like he he's just got he he's got one of the best. He's got some of the best stuff in all of baseball, but. Can he stay on the field? I think it's very likely he gets dealt, just given that he's on the last year of his contract. And the Rays tend to do this, where it, before a player's contract expires, they look to deal him. And 
you know, there's so many teams that could use pitching, you know, not to, you know, beat a dead horse, but the Mets, they have 40% of a starting rotation right now. So I think mm-hmm. if I'm looking at teams that will be in on him, I think the Mets for sure. I also would add the Braves and the Cardinals, like we mentioned earlier, the Cardinals have way more work to do with that rotation. So I could see the Cardinals. And then if I'm looking at American league teams, uh, I think, you know, I could see the Rangers looking at it. the Rangers. I think, you know, we don't know if they're going to have Jordan Montgomery next year. Uh, you know, we don't know what Max Scherzer is going to be. So I think I could see the Rangers looking at him too, to add to that rotation. So I think he's definitely going to get dealt. And there, there are a lot of suitors out there. It's just a matter. Can he stay healthy? Mag, I don't know how you do it, but you seem to get my two, the my teams that I was thinking as well in your. Oh yeah, of course. My two. My top two teams that I was thinking of were, were the Cardinals and the Rangers. The Cardinals for the same kind of purpose that we were talking earlier, that they are very high-risk, high-reward style of um, style of starting rotation. What more high-risk, high-reward guy can you get than Tyler Glasnow? So I think that, honestly, for the joke, he kind of fits it, even though I think that the uh, – Cardinals really need to get more of a stable guy that you know is going to get at least 175 innings, something like that. But the other one was the Rangers, because the Rangers are now, that's really, they're still the biggest hole right now, is that they really do need some more starting pitching. They've got some good ones, don't get me wrong, but if they make a trade to get a big starting pitcher and go for Glasnow, they have the depth overall to make it work in case anything happens to them. But he is still the number, like, he would be one of their top guys overall. Like, not a doubt, not a question. It, as long as he stays healthy is always the ca- case. I'm going to differ from your argument here, though, a little bit. And I'm going to say that there's, like, maybe a 20% chance he gets traded. And here's the reason why. I think that overall, when it comes to Glasnow, I think that the Rays are going to want to trade him. And I think the other teams are going to want him. But I don't think the asking price is going to be met. I think that the Rays are going to be asking for some pretty good stuff overall. Because I don't think you would ever want to give away like a top prospect for a guy like Glasnow. I don't think it is worth that risk to give away. Because yes, Glasnow is good. He's really, really good. But it doesn't matter if you're good if you're not playing the game. If you're not on the field, it does not matter how good you are. So at that point, like, I think what's going to end up happening, and my just kind of prediction, is that there's going to be a ton of trade talks that will go on for Glasnow, and he's not going to get traded because I don't think the asking price is going to be met. As much as the Rays will want to trade him and other teams will want to get his services, the Rays are going to ask for, like, a top prospect, or multiple MLB ready guys and teams are not going to be able to come up with that. I mean, that's the thing. I honestly don't know what the Rays asking price will be though, because his value isn't as high as it, it once was. And I think they acknowledge that. So really, I actually don't think that it's going to take as much as we think. Maybe it will take a top 100 prospect or multiple top 30 prospects from an organization. But I think, it won't take as much as, you know, say if this was 2021 or 2020, it would, he would have committed way more. So I, that's why I think actually a team is going to come to an agreement 
with the Rays because uh, his value has depreciated just enough where the Rays can make a reasonable ask. And, you know, I think they'll be, it'll be easier ne- to negotiate a deal for him. Well, we'll see what happens then for going forward. And for our last candidate, it's not one player that we're talking about. We're kind of lumping an entire team in this category. And that is the Chicago White Sox, who have already said basically, hey, we're fire selling. Offer it and we'll see what we can do. And that means that it's not just like guys like Cease or um, Eloy Jimenez. They're ta- even talking about guys like uh, Louis Bob that could potentially get traded. So, Mac, I mean, what do you see right now? Do you think that we're going to see multiple trades? Do you think we're going to see a lot of these gone, guys gone before next year? Like, Because I feel like when we're talking about an entire team, there isn't one other like team that's going to be a trade target for them. But how many of these guys do you think are going to be gone before we start the 2024 season? Oh, it seems like Dylan Dylan Cease is like it seems like he's a surefire bet to get trade. Like I said, there's so many teams that need pitching right now that you know he yes he walks a lot of guys, but I mean so does Blake Snell. He just won the Cy Young Award, uh, so I think uh, Cease. In my opinion, I think Cease will get packaged with uh, Jimenez, who is you know he's got great power. Uh, he strikes out a lot, but. I mean, when he's on the field, he hits the ball very hard and hits it very far. The issue is he gets injured a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Cease and Jimenez, I can see getting packaged together in a deal. And, I mean, that could probably get the White Sox a lot because I feel like one of those guys on their own will not, be an, will not get the White Sox enough. And this is a team that lost 101 games. They have a new GM, Chris Getz. Uh, he said they're open for business. I don't know if Robert will necessarily get traded just because, uh, you know, there are a couple of red flags about him, which is that he walks at a very low rate and his strikeout rate was 28% this year, which is rather high. Uh, But I also don't know if any team is going to be willing to meet their demand. That being said, I can definitely see a guy like Yohan Moncada getting moved. Uh, Andrew Vaughn. Those are two guys who are relatively young, who haven't quite met expectations yet. Um, Gavin Sheets, I think he'll be gone. Uh, if anyone wants the Asmani Grandall's contract, I believe he's going to be in the last year of his deal. So maybe someone, you know, takes a flyer on him. Uh, Mike Clevenger, I know he's had some, he has kind of a checkered resume, but I think Clevenger and Kopech, I can see both those guys getting moved. Really, they, it's just, it's such, it's such a mess on the south side of Chicago right now that, I, I definitely see this team, A, I can see them losing 100 games again next year, and B, it's going to be a very, very different-looking roster. So, yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of moves coming from the White Sox. I think the hardest trade for them to be able to pull off will be for Louis Bob. because But on that, at that same kind of clip, right, I think they're going to aggressively shop him because, like, he is a franchise-level guy. He is a one of the best outfielders in all of baseball right now, defensively, offensively, he's the full pack. But in order to get Luis Robert here, you're going to have to give up a lot to get Luis Robert. He's also only 25. That's the other thing. Exactly. Like he is going to be a massive deal if he gets traded. And 
it's for that reason that I think the Cubs are going to be aggressively shopping him right now. I because of that, they're like, all right, we're at a fire sale. He was one of the best players in baseball last year and has been on a steady uptick since he uh, finished second place in Rookie of the Year voting. Sorry. But um, he's been playing at amazing baseball. And I think they're because of they're going to try and sell high on him. Right now, this is the highest his trade value has been. So if you're going to go full fire sale, you might as well do it. And you might as well try to get the best deal that you can possibly get. And I think that at that point, you may try to put him in with, like, you know, a Dylan Cease or something like that. You probably wouldn't do Eloy just because positions. But, like, a deal that's, like, Robert and Cease together, I think would fetch a huge package together. Yeah, the thing is, that if they if they try to package those two together... I, that, that's uh, that's a point where I don't know if any team's going to meet the asking price. That's the issue. That's very that's very. So true. It, it's like, you know, I think back. I mean, I'm surprised that anyone met the asking price for the for the Nationals when they traded Scherzer and Turner in the same deal. But I mean, I just <laughs> I think that Cease and Jimenez is like the right package of players where a team will be willing to meet what they will a team will be able to negotiate a reasonable package. Yes, it'll probably include at least one top 100, if not top 50 prospect in baseball, but it's not like they're going to have to trade like, you know, their five top prospects to get, get those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, you can see it maybe being that Cease and Eloy are in one package and then uh, Robert will be traded separately. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think so. But again, I don't know if – I feel like the White Sox – the tough part is that Robert is the type of guy you want to build around, but kind of like Soto, it's 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 a tough situation where you're going to have one guy who could be the face of the franchise, who's a star player, but he's also going to be suffering on a lot of bad rebuilding teams. So it's it's kind of a lose-lose situation, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see going forward what's going to happen with these. But that's going to do it for our trade candidates section. Let us know what you guys think about these guys. Do you think they're going to be traded? Do you have any other trade candidates that you want us to talk about on a later show? Hit us up on Twitter at LAR underscore baseball. But now it is time for everyone's favorite segment. It is time for trivia. And with it just being two people, it's going to be a little bit different. But I'm handing it off right now to Mac. Take it away. Yeah, thank you very much. So we, obviously we've reached the off season, which means there's a bunch of moves being made and stuff. So I've decided I'm going to run back one of my old segments. I know that's you're probably uh, used to that me reusing <laughs> ideas for trivia, but uh, I, in the How past, original. I've, I've done the transaction game. We're going to do that again today where okay. I read, I read Alex, a player's transaction history, and then he buzzes in and tells me what player he thinks it is. Uh, there are eight players we could do uh, three strikes or we'll see how it goes. Just see All how right. many points I get. Yeah. Exactly. Let's do that. All so right. Let's rock I'm going to start with the first player. So this player, it begins on June 7th, 2004, drafted by the Detroit Tigers in the first round, second pick of the 2004 amateur draft. Player signs October 25th, 2004. Then the next transaction is August 31st, 2017. 
traded by the Detroit Tigers with the player to be named later to the Houston Astros for Franklin Perez, Daz Cameron, and Jake Rogers. The Detroit Tigers sent Juan Ramirez to the Astros to complete trade. November 3rd, 2021, granted free agency. March 12th, 2022, signed as a free agent with the Houston Astros. November 9th, 2022, granted free agency. December 7th, 2022, signed as a free agent with the New York Mets. August 1st, 2023, traded by the New York Mets to the Houston Astros for Ryan Clifford and Drew Gilbert. And that is the extent of his transaction history to this date. What? Oh, is that Verlander? Yes, it is Justin Verlander. Yeah, let's go. You're on the board. All right. There we go. We're one for one. All right. It's only going downhill from here. <laughs> the fact that it took me that long to figure out that one where I'm like, wait a minute, we're just going back and forth between the Astros and all that. But Exactly. Right. I mean, to be fair, I was also thinking it was like J.D. Martinez for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not right. Nah, because Martinez started with the Astros and then ended up on Detroit. Yeah, that's that's what I think where my mind got a little bit mixed up at. Yeah, spoiler alert, JD Martinez is not one of the players in this video. Darn. <laughs> um uh all right, the next player, June first, nineteen ninety five, drafted by the Kansas City Royals in the second round of the nineteen ninety five amateur draft. Player signed June fifth that year. The next one, June twenty fourth, two thousand four, traded as part of a three team trade by the Kansas City Royals to the Houston Astros. The Oakland Athletics sent Mark Tian and Mike Wood to the Kansas City Royals. The Houston Astros sent Octavio Dotel to the Oakland A's. And the Houston Astros sent John Buck and Cash to the Kansas City Royals. October 28, 2004, granted free agency. January 13, 2005, signed as a free agent with the New York Mets. July 28, 2011, traded by the New York Mets with Cash to the San Francisco Giants for Zach Wheeler. October 30, 2011, granted free agency. December 23rd, 2011, signed as a free agent with the St. Louis Cardinals. October 31st, 2013, granted free agency. December 19th, 2013, signed as a free agent with the New York Yankees. August 1st, 2016, traded by the New York Yankees to the Texas Rangers for Nick Green, Eric Swanson, and Dylan Tate. November 3rd, 2016, granted free agency. December 5th, 2016, he signs his last contract. Signed as a free agent with the Houston Astros. Then at the end of the 2017 season, he retired. Is that... Is that Beltron? That is correct. That is Carlos Beltran. Let's go! I'll give you honest, I was lost the entire way with that trade. And then at the very end, I'm like, okay, what player retired in 2017 with the Astros? I'm like, alright, Beltron, got it. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, that's the thing. Is Beltron... I mean, because he, yeah, he started with Kansas City, and then he had that amazing run with the Astros in 04 mm. uh, before signing his contract with the Mets. And I'll I'll say that to this day, he's the greatest free agent signing in team history. That, I think if he goes sense. if he goes into the Hall of Fame, which I think he should, he'll go in as a Met, or he should at least. Um, anyways, next up, we have a pretty simple one. There are only two real transactions. On this guy's uh, okay. on the on this guy's page, uh, so June first, nineteen ninety five. So same draft as Beltron, drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays in the first round, seventeenth pick of the nineteen ninety five amateur draft. Player signed June thirtieth. The next one, December sixteenth, two thousand nine, traded by the Toronto Blue Jays with cash to the Philadelphia Phillies for Travis Darno, Kyle Drabeck, 
and Michael Taylor. October 31st, 2013, granted free agency. Sounds a one-day contract with the Toronto Blue Jays to retire. Is that... Oh, wait, no, it's definitely not. My first thought was Jose Bautista, but I know that's not right. Um, That one's tough. I don't actually know. Off the top of my head. Um... Yeah, I know it's wrong. I'm going to say Bautista. Yeah, it's definitely not Jose Bautista. It's Roy Halladay. Oh, yeah, it's Halladay. Bautista's transaction history is awfully complicated because he he was DFA'd and cut like so many times before he established himself. Yeah, you know, that's Um, fair. Also, to be fair, Bautista also was on the Pirates, I think, for a time, too. He was on the, the Mets, the Pirates, the Braves, the Phillies, the Orioles, I think the Devil Rays for a little bit. Like, he was. He, the teams played hot potato with him for a while until he got to Toronto. Yeah, you know, um, fair enough. <laughs> all right, let's move on uh, to the next guy then. So, all right, you're 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 two, two for, for three. three to start. Okay, that's not batting bad. Six, batting six sixty seven. You take all right. Those. So, this one, uh, July second, nineteen ninety five. Wow, same year for. I was about to say, like, geez, you really nineteen ninety five, don't you? Uh, signed by the Houston Astros as an amateur free agent. December 3rd, 1999, drafted by the Florida Marlins from the Houston Astros in the 1999 Rule 5 draft. December 13th, 1999, traded by the Florida Marlins with cash to the Minnesota Twins for Jared Camp. February 2nd, 2008, traded by the Minnesota Twins to the New York Mets for Carlos Gomez, Deolis Guerra, Philip Umber, and Kevin Bolvey. November 1st, 2013, granted free agency. March 4th, 2014, signed as a free agent with the Baltimore Orioles. October 30th, 2014, granted free agency. February 26th, 2015, signed as a free agent with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's the end of his transaction history. Yeah, I'm real. I have no idea. I'll preface this by saying he didn't actually play a major league game past 2012. Okay. He got hurt rehabbing from injuries the next couple contracts. Jeez, poor guy. Um, what uh in the year 2008 uh where was he playing at by that 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 year that march he got traded sorry that february he got traded to the mets a trade to the by the twins by the twins is that hmm i feel like it's like on the it's on the tip of my tongue um is that Johan? Yes, it is. It is Johan. Let's go! Woo! That t- uh, I had to pull that, that, that was one. A good out. one. Woo! All right. Well, the next one I'll tell you. I mean, now that I look at his transaction history on Baseball Reference, this is going to be a layup for you. So I hope. Um, so. Don't say that because otherwise I'll miss it. <laughs> all right. Well, if you get if you don't get it from this first one, I almost consider an L because here's the first okay. transaction listed here. November 30th, 2000. Purchased by the Seattle Mariners from Orixu, Japan Pacific. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do I just say Ichiro there? Yes, or... perfect. You're, okay. you're good. Ichiro. Alright, so you're batting per- 800. It was from the Oryx Blue Wave back then, which are now the yes. Oryx Buffaloes. They're the Buffaloes, yes. Yeah. Um. Alright, 
moving on. This one is not as easy as that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fair enough. I'm batting 800 right now, so like I'm surprised I've even gotten this far. Right, well, yeah, I mean, you're you're off to a good start. Uh, you've guaranteed yourself at least a 500 record. We take um, those. All right, so this one, June 5th, 1989, drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in the 11th round of the 1989 amateur draft. Player signed June 9th, 1989. November 17th, 1992, drafted by the Florida Marlins from the Cincinnati Reds as the eighth pick in the 1992 expansion draft. June 24th, 1993, traded by the Florida Marlins with Andres Berriman and Jose Martinez to the San Diego Padres for Rich Rodriguez and Gary Sheffield. October 28, 2005, granted free agency. December 7, 2005, signed as a free agent with the San Diego Padres. November 1, 2008, granted free agency. January 8, 2009, signed as a free agent with the Milwaukee Brewers. November 2, 2010, granted free agency, and he would then retire. Is that Tony Gwynn? Nope. Is that your official guess yeah. yeah that was my guess yeah it so. is it is not tony gwynn it is another padres legend though it is trevor hoffman oh that's off all right fair enough which if you wouldn't believe trevor hoffman was originally a shortstop uh oh, did wow. not pan out as a shortstop became a very good reliever and also yeah. padres fans despised him initially because he was traded for gary sheffield yeah i was about <laughs> to say i'm like wait a minute like dang okay all right moving on um so you're what four and two so far? All right, this yeah. is another guy actually with a rather short uh, tra- transaction history. So June fourth, two thousand two, drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round, the seventh pick of the two thousand two amateur draft. Player signed June seventeenth, two thousand two, October thirtieth, two thousand eleven, granted free agency. January twenty sixth, two thousand twelve, signed as a free agent with the Detroit Tigers. November 20th, 2013, traded by the Detroit Tigers with cash to the Texas Rangers for Ian Kinsler. October 4th, 2017, released by the Texas Rangers. He had to retire because of a neck injury. Yeah, that's Prince Fielder. Yes, that is Prince Fielder, correct. <laughs> yeah, honestly, to be fair, I figured out that one uh, when you talked about going to uh, Detroit from Milwaukee. I'm like, okay, that, around that time, that was the biggest trade. Is or the biggest uh, move? Excuse me, the biggest move. Well, that was the thing is that that was a that was the same offseason that Pujols was a free agent and Jose mm-hmm. Reyes, and oh my like gosh. I remember Re- Reyes and Pujols both signed I think in December, and then Fielder held out until January and got a massive contract from the Tigers. Yeah, um, I was so scared the day that he signed with the with the Rangers as a Mariner fan. I'm like, oh, when he got traded, oh, oh my crap. god. Dude, I just oh, remember it, it caught me off guard because he was only two years into a nine-year deal, and then they were just like, all right, the, I mean, Ian Kinsler was like one of the faces of the Rangers franchise. Yeah, that's what and, scared me. I'm like, wow, you're trading away Kinsler? R- really? Uh, okay. All right, so for the last guy, this guy has quite the transaction history. <laughs> he is quite Jeff the journeyman. Uh, it is not Jeff Franco. I'll tell you that. Tell you don't tell. Okay. All right, here we go. J- June 26, 1993, signed by the then Cleveland Indians as an amateur free agent. June 27, 2002, traded by the Cleveland Indians with Tim Drew to the Montreal Expos for Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips, Grady Sizemore, and Lee Stevens. Oh, my gosh. Okay. It's probably the most notable transaction he's been a part of. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who they got in that deal. 
January 15, 2003, traded by the Montreal Expos with Jorge Nunez to the Chicago White Sox for Rocky Biddle, Orlando Hernandez, Jeff Lafer, and Cash. October 27, 2003, granted free agency. December 10, 2003, signed as free agent with the Anaheim Angels. October 29, 2007, granted free agency. February 24, 2008, signed as a free agent with the Boston Red Sox. October 31st, 2008, granted free agency. January 14th, 2009, signed as a free agent with the Chicago White Sox. September 16th, 2009, released by the Chicago White Sox. Doesn't get signed until January 26, 2011, when he is signed by the New York Yankees. October 30th, 2011, granted free agency. January 24th, 2012, signed as a free agent with the Oakland Athletics. October 29th, 2012, granted free agency. November 3rd, 2012, signed as a free agent with the Oakland Athletics. October 31st, 2013, granted free agency. December 14th, 2013, signed as a free agent with the New York Mets. November 2nd, 2015, granted free agency. December 18th, 2015, signed as a free agent with the New York Mets again. November 3rd, 2016, granted free agency. November 17th, 2016, signed as a free agent with the Atlanta Braves. July 4th, 2017, released by the Atlanta Braves. July 7th, 2017, signed as a free agent with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, November 2nd, 2017, granted free agency. February 4th, 2018, signed as a free agent with the Texas Rangers. March 24th, 2018, released by the Texas Rangers. March 26, 2018, signed as a free agent again with the Texas Rangers. October 29, 2018, granted free agency. September 17, 2023, voluntary reti- voluntarily retired from the New York Mets. That is I... the end of his major league uh... transaction history. I will say that he is pitching in another baseball league currently. It is not just it is just not the majors. Is that Bartolo? It is Bartolo Colon. Let's go! Honestly, fair, I had no idea until you said that. So you said that last little bit, and they're like, oh yeah, he's pitching in Dubai right now. Yes, he's currently pitching for baseball united. Uh that is awesome, by the way. Uh That's this man is 50 nice. years old. Uh, and he still pitched three innings. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean. I think it, I think that's a fantastic experiment that they're running over there. Yeah, we um, can definitely talk about it a, uh, another time. At this yeah. Point. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a good effort from you. You batted seven fifty. Um, I will. You know what? I'll take seven fifty. I expected to be batting two fifty. So I mean, I'm I'm glad I, I tried. I tried. I tried to go with somewhat notable players. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate. And I'll, it. I'll give it to you that a that you got Bartolo because I thought that was the most difficult one. Uh, Honestly, what like sealed that one for me? Aside from that, was I was trying to find a link between that and then the uh, the big trade with uh, uh, the Expos, and yeah. I'm like, there was one big name that was in that that he got put over there for, and it was shipping away all of the talents to Cleveland to get. Well, it's because the, the the Expos were, at the time, ready to get contracted at the end of the year. Yep, I remember so that. So it yep. was, you have to go all in or you're never going to play again. Like, it's... Yep. Uh, and then so they didn't get contracted. They didn't get contracted, and they also didn't make the playoffs either. Um, so... Legendary. Uh, sometimes <laughs> mortgaging the future and trading your future All-Stars isn't always worth it. Just... Uh, oh. 
I believe word, also as Dribble to the wise. Wasn't as Dribble Cabrera also in that trade? Uh, no, but they speak as Dribble Cabrera. They got from the Mariners, man. <laughs> I remember. No, no, I remember there was another. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm getting the mix up with someone else. I thought of. Or, anyway, or, I think uh, Orlando Cabrera may have been involved in a trade. I forget. I know he was an Expo. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much for trivia. That was a fun time, Mac. I appreciate it. I I I enjoyed I enjoyed putting that together. Good deal. All right. Well, we're now down to our final segment of the show as we like to end every podcast with the moment to ourselves where we take a minute. Just talk about whatever's on our mind. It does not have to be baseball related, but it absolutely can be. Mac, would you like to go first or would you like me to? Uh you you can go first. I gotta come up with something. All right, here we go. So I will start mine in three, two, one, begin. So not a lot of people know this about me, but I'm a big wrestling fan. I really like wrestling. I haven't talked about it a whole ton, but I got to watch Survivor Series War Games uh, the other night, and I saw something that I legitimately thought a number of years ago would have been impossible, and that was CM Punk coming back to the WWE and it was amazing how they did. There was so much talk about, about that it was going to happen leading up to the show, but there was the, so many more smoke screen signals about it and so many other ways that, that people are saying it's not going to happen, not going to happen. And I'm like, you know, I don't think it's going to happen either. But at the very end of the show, they even put up the title card in the bottom right-hand corner to throw people off for just a little bit longer. And then finally, cult of personality hits and everyone just loses their mind. I may not be the biggest punk fan. I really like him, though. But to see him coming back into WWE is very surreal. All right. That is my time for this. Mac, are you ready to go? Yeah, sure. All right, your time begins in three, two, one, begin. So, you know, I decided I might as well just talk about Baseball United a little bit. I think this is uh, – I I think it's great that uh, baseball is becoming at least a bit more of a global game uh, because I feel like outside of, you know, you know, there's North America, obviously. It's still decently popular, I would say. I mean, it is our national pastime. You know, you have – a decent amount of baseball in South America. So the Western hemisphere is very much in tune with baseball. And then you have obviously those big baseball powerhouses in Asia, like Japan and South Korea. But I feel like, you know, the fact that we're putting a baseball league out, you know, in, in Southeast Asia and in the middle East, I think it's awesome for the sport. Plus you're getting these former big leaguers uh, to sort of come out of retirement in ways like Bartolo Colon and Robinson Cano, you know, that, you know, it's it's a fun thing, I think. You know, Pablo Sandoval, too. You have the gold ball, the power up, power up where the runs are doubled all of a sudden. I think this is a lot of fun. And I'm honestly, I'm curious to see how this league does. It's only four teams. I haven't really had time to watch it. But I think this is a this is a fun thing. And you know, maybe I'll experiment and watch a little bit of it. I kind of just miss baseball as a whole. So maybe I'll either watch Baseball United or the Australian Baseball League for a bit. Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. All right, but that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter, the, the main account, at LAR underscore baseball. You can go follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy242. Also go follow Mac at uh, Matthias underscore A underscore K. And why not go follow Splash? 
on uh, Twitter. Wasn't here today, but because not feeling too well. But go follow him on Twitter at Mr. Splashman19. But from all of us here at Losses of a Replacement, we want to thank you all for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, and I hope to see you all real soon.